0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Rasslin' Memories on Pioneer 90.1 KSRQ, online, RadioNorthland.org, and tune in. I'm Glenn Broggett, your host, along with my co-host. Yes, indeed, he's down there deep in the heart of Texas, as we are now into the eighth month of the calendar year. It's still summer, and boy, is it ever summer. I mean, if we're getting 90 up here, what's been going, what's the weather been like? Because we always open with the weather. Mike McCurdy, grizzled bet. What's going on? Is it grizzling you, or... Are you able to keep keep cool and you know keep a calm head
1: well like everybody here in the state of Texas we stay inside uh, lovely 111 degrees right now because August is usually the hottest month of the summer uh, here in Texas and it's obviously been like over between 100 and 105 like all summer long so we're hit, we're, we're getting into the end of the hot streak I guess as you could say it, but yeah. oof I
0: 111 could... degrees right now yeah, lucky you here. I'm sitting here no. with a little bit of a, as we're recording today, with a little bit of a sunburn. I mean, I was out uh, out and about here early on in the week, and yeah, I couldn't imagine. That. It was just enough for me to be outside that long, even up in, you know, northern Minnesota.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it's just... And what's really sad is they're showing, like, temperatures. Like, oh, the record was set on this day in... 2022 which was last summer so we set records last summer and this summer we're breaking them so that's happened a few times uh, most of the records that were broke were back in like 1980 something so it's been like 40 years since they've had like some of these temperatures so it's it's just amazing
0: it's good time to stay in, you know, stay in the air conditioned uh, comfort. Maybe watch some wrestling. I mean, Lord knows we've got so much of it going down here as we're really, uh, as of this recording today. Boy, the the countdown now to the big show uh, over in the UK for AEW. I mean, what uh, the the number of tickets they've been moving on this has been ridiculous, and now they're starting to give a little bit of a an idea slowly about what we can expect for the for the card because the whole time people are wondering how they're going to open things up, what's going to happen. Here we got lead-up. Now it's on pay-per-view. What the hell? What, what are the matches? What's going to end up being the final card? What companies are going to be affiliated with the show? I mean, a lot of things a lot of things on the table for this, but they go, are going international, and they're going big. Wembley big.
1: Oh, definitely. All in in Wembley, August 27th. Uh, first match was just announced uh, at the time of this recording last night on AEW Dynamite. We are getting the MJF versus Adam Cole rematch for the AEW Heavyweight Championship. But I'm sure Tony's got, you know, well, Tony always has, like, a large card stacked in his, you know, mm-hmm. for the, the It's going to be, like, nine hours. It's going to be. Something, something, yeah. yeah. I agree with Bubba Ray Dudley, though. I agree with Bubba Ray, what he talked about, or Bully Ray, with, uh, on Busted Open. with the Don't record. announce a card. They've sold 77,000 tickets just without a card. You're just... going to have a packed house. He's made the money. Don't announce a card so people tune in and you just wait to hear what music is coming up. Oh, who's their opponent? Just like the electricity for that and the excitement for it could be through the roof because you're going to be like, oh, what's next? What's next? Maybe don't announce a whole card. Okay, give us m j of Adam Cole. Maybe give mm. us another match. But don't announce everything so that way you tune in for the surprises. The
0: big you know are going to be so. Yeah, to give it that big, big feel. I mean, yeah, have a couple of the, 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 the big matches, the big, big. And then kind of well, – because, I mean, it sounds like it's going to be – I mean, at least from what the, the indications are, it, it should be a pretty good uh, – mixing of, of, of talent from around the world potentially here. And this is awesome. I mean, anytime we can get more eyes on, more faces that, you know, more guys, you know, that we haven't seen or maybe heard about or maybe saw some clips on YouTube, it's, it, it's a good way to open things up. It's almost like a U.K. Uh, opening up the forbidden door of their own.
1: Kind of, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. And like I said, you know, the crowds in Wembley and the U.K. are always huge because unlike here, they don't get wrestling regular like event you know they get you know televised product but wwe goes over there just a few times a year aew this is their first time over there so Mm -hmm. you're gonna you're gonna make money just off the tickets because people are gonna go like proving yeah 77,000 tickets because they want to go watch wrestling
0: yeah i mean uh the merch is gonna be moving I mean, you know it's gonna be just just awesome and speaking of the uk uh Sad news with the passing of Adrian Street. What a, what a talent uh, the, the gentleman was. I mean, that's just a mere understatement. I mean, I got a chance uh, to chat with him uh, here uh, a few years back, and uh, it was really a, quite the experience because, you know, you kind of just let him go because, I mean, he was a character, uh, de- most definitely. And his wife, Miss Linda, was very, very sweet to me, at least, you know, on, before our interview that we did. It was very it was cool. I met
1: them in 2006. Uh, My first CAC in Las Vegas. They had actually gotten married the year before at CAC. Uh, Jason Sanderson was the uh, the man who officiated the ceremony. And then they were there the following year, so that's when I got to meet him. No, he was a great guy to talk to. And, you know, Miss Linda was just as sweet as could be. And I really enjoyed my conversation with him. You know, got some pictures with him. I bought a a couple of his books because he didn't have a table. He didn't have a table at the... uh, at the uh, memorabilia room, but he happened to have just a few books on him up in the oh. hotel in, in his suitcase. So, you know, Miss Linda brought some books down for me. So I think I bought like two or three of them. Because the man well, yeah, does not have a series didn't he? He's got uh, a series.
0: Yeah, they were they were quite good. I, I mean, and I, I remember uh, buying out of his mail order catalog back in the, what well, God must have been the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, I bought a video cassette of like, and uh, for the most part, it was Texas All-Star stuff. And it was just, I watched that thing all the time. Because I, I had only heard about Texas All-Star from uh, my old, one of my older brothers who was uh, stationed in San Antonio in the 80s. And he's still living there to this day. Uh, he, he There was a show he took pictures of, and he was telling me who was all on this card and talking about the event. And I was just like... Getting that video because you know that was kind of putting more you know, outside of just the after mags and the, the you know and the other uh, publications, I was able to really get a gra- get to see this wrestling. And it was uh back when um, Fred Ottman was working the big bubba gimmick,
1: mm hmm. Yeah, big bubba uh, with Texas All Star. And that's how I found out about Adrian Street was you know, like the magazines, his mail order stuff. I mean, because obviously Adrian Street wasn't on, you know, you didn't tune on to see him on WWE. WWF television versus a you know Hacksaw Jim Duggar or something so no but no still just a, a great name but another a sad passing turns out he actually passed away I believe on the twenty fourth it was the the family announced it like a week later mm-hmm. but earlier in that day before we found out about the uh, passing of Adrian Street another. And it is wrestling related because, you know, he did make some WWE appearances with Paul Rubens. And that was kind of a shocking one because no one knew that he had cancer. He he didn't tell anybody.
0: Yeah, he was very private about that. He was yeah. more of kind of focused. And he he did show some remorse for not doing that. But again, he had his had his reasons. He was working trying to get some projects finished up. And, and you know, he wanted to keep going and, and, keep you know, whether he was out in public or whatever, just to kind of keep up appearances and Yeah, it's unfortunate we lost him. I mean, going back to the days when he was in the Groundlings, some of the stuff he did, uh, and, you know, he was cameo. Or he had little small roles in, like, the Blues Brothers and some of the the Cheech and Chong Chong movies. Yeah, yeah, and I mean... This whole thing working, uh, the, the Pee Wee Herman show thing was initially a concept that was more for the adult audiences uh, from when he was doing the show because it had an H B And then they even did a, a version, they recorded a version and had uh, it on HBO. That was one of the first times I really saw that Pee Wee Herman was this HBO special. And it was, you know, Phil Hartman was in it, you know, Captain Carl, you know, Missy Vaughn, all that stuff. I mean... Fun stuff. I mean, Pee Wee's Playhouse shot up big. I mean, I mean, how now? If it, you know the whole thing, always got me. I mean, he had so many great little characters on there, but he had like Blacky Elas, the king of cartoon, and he had Lawrence Fishburne as Cowboy hey, Curtis. Curtis. I mean, and then and, and Cyndi Lauper sang the theme song. I mean, it was kind of fun, and how they he did his thing and. Again, you know, before his um, unfortunate arrest and incident, I mean, he was on top of the world there for a while. I mean, both the Big Adventure movie and, of course, Pee-wee's Playhouse and Big Top Pee-wee and stuff. And, I mean, he had great roles. I mean, he's a serious straight a- actor outside of the Pee-wee genre, too. I mean, and outside of the comedy thing. I mean, he was really great in that, that movie Blow with Johnny Depp.
1: Oh, yeah. That was, I was just going to mention that, his role in Blow. Uh, and he took, even though the, the events of what happened, and we're not going to go into what happened at the theater but even after he came back from that, you know, I mean, he bounced back, he came back. They actually did another, like, Pee Wee Herman special on HBO, like, a few years after that. I mm-hmm. remember watching that one. I think he, it was a Broadway thing or something, or some off-Broadway show, but he did that. And, of course, you know, when he went on the MTV Video Music Awards and... Got up to the mic and said, heard any good jokes lately? And that got everybody to laugh. He
0: took it in stride, I mean, for any problems he faced, you know. But you know what? We're not going to sit here and make this the one hour in memoriam show because we have business and we have one hell of a great guest here lined up, Mike. And uh, I'm going to let you do the honors, open things up, get things rolling with our guest. Who I apologize for uh, delaying for all of this uh, talk, but we got to get going. Do it, Mike.
1: Let's do this the right way. Uh, our guest this week, man. I reached out to him, and invited him on the show because he's doing a he's doing a series of things on a, on his Facebook page called "Advice for Wrestling Life," and I've really enjoyed uh, the posts. and I want to bring him on to kind of talk about those, as you know, well as some of the other things he's done in wrestling. Uh, we're talking like you know the the. The trade trading catalogs and all that. He had a newsletter called Matt Marketplace. Uh, a lot of people you know, use that as a way to you know acquire different material from all over the U.S. For as far as uh, wrestling goes. And he was a promoter for New England Championship Wrestling. Our guest this week on Wrestling Memories is none other than Sheldon Goldberg. Sheldon, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. It's good to be here.
1: Well, thank you for joining us. Like I said, I've been following you. know, We're friends on Facebook, and I've been following your posts The advice on wrestling life, and I thought it would be fun to come on and kind of talk about some of those, and you know, get your take on that. But before we do that, let's give uh, the listeners kind of a little background. Like I said, you were uh, you had the Matt Marketplace newsletter, and you were also the founder of New England Championship Wrestling. So let's give our listeners kind of a little background on uh, you know your your involvement in the wrestling business. Well, uh,
2: before any of that, I well actually. Matt marketplace is kind of the beginning. Um, I had been kind of kicking around the entertainment business before that and just decided, um, I, I, well, actually, uh, I produced plays. That was my, my, uh, career before I got involved in wrestling. Uh, I did publicity for Broadway shows and shows on tour and I uh, produced plays and did so with a fair amount of success. And, uh, When that business started to wane due to uh, the economics of the business changing, the shows just got more and more expensive to produce, and raising that money became more and more difficult. I decided to just kind of focus on things that I liked and my hobbies and so forth, and one of those was wrestling and wrestling memorabilia. So I started Matt Marketplace, a newsletter for collectors of professional wrestling memorabilia. That put me in touch with a lot of different people, and... uh, Uh, met a lot of interesting folks I started working with a a promoter here locally the late Boston bad boy Tony Rumble who uh, ran a group called the Century Wrestling Alliance later NWA New England Um, I was on the board of directors of the Cauliflower Alley Club for quite a number of years and uh, even wrote some articles for uh, the now defunct WOW magazine So I had done a, a fair amount of stuff before starting to promote wrestling on my own. And, uh, that, that, that's pretty much the story. I've been, uh, blessed to have had a good crew of people promoted for about 20 odd years. And, uh, uh, now trying to focus on a few other creative projects, advice for wrestling life being one of them. And, uh, You know, it's been, uh, it's kind of interesting to see people's reaction to it, Um, and a lot of response from people inside and outside the business, so very gratified by that.
1: I've been enjoying uh, the advice for Wrestling Life, and like I said, that's kind of one of the reasons why I reached out to you for this week's show. Uh, One of the posts you mentioned was talking about uh, the play-by-play, the guys, and how they're part of telling the story and all that, and they should know the background. I'm actually going to be doing uh, my, one of my first play-by-play commentary this Saturday at uh, Sword Championship Wrestling in Dallas. So that that, that post kind of stuck out at me a little bit. And uh, so I kind of read that. And I'm taking some advice to heart. I've been watching some stuff and kind of taking some notes to get some ideas. So, you know, I'm not out there. Uh, just, um, well, and here's wrestler A and B. Because, like you said, you need to know the names. You need to know a little bit of, you know, their background. So, I took some of the advice. Um, as far as your posts go, the other ones you've done, have there been other people who have reached out and said, hey, thanks, I appreciate the advice? And, you know, what's kind of been the reaction to your advice for us? Oh, yeah, it,
2: a lot, lot of people both inside the business, veterans, longtime veterans saying to me things like, man, it, it, it's good that somebody's out there telling people these things because a lot of guys today don't know. And, and let me, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to give you just a very brief uh A very brief synopsis of how these posts got started. I actually started doing them four years ago, and the reason I did them was because I was frustrated over the last few years of me promoting shows with guys who were taught how to wrestle but not how to be wrestlers. You know, there uh, there was a big Mm -hmm. gap in the education. Of young guys and girls who are getting into the industry, being taught by people who were part of that skipped generation of veteran talents and journeyman people, and and there's just a lot of stuff that just isn't being taught. And so, one of the reasons for advice for wrestling life is just to give people that education. I think they should probably all send me send me tuition, but uh, that's another. It's another story, but, um, so yeah, it was, it was my frustration with people and having to teach people the other side of the business, what it's like to be a promoter, what the issues are, uh, the, the, the whole culture of being a wrestler, as opposed to learning how to wrestle. So that, that's the genesis of advice for wrestling life. I've had lots of people, including, um. Uh, some people that don't want their names mentioned, but very celebrated people, hall of famers, and so forth, that uh, have uh, applauded me in terms of, uh, you know, what what I'm saying to people and so forth, and hopefully it has an impact.
1: Well, like I said, I've been enjoying them, and like I said, I've got you know I happen to have your uh, your Facebook page up here on my computer in the studio, so I can kind of go mm-hmm. over some of the posts. But there's just a few of them for me that have stood out, and one. Uh, from just this past day was referring to the gentleman we were just speaking of, and it was the passing of Adrian Street, and you talk about how one of the best developments in wrestling over the last generation and a half is the shoot interview and the podcast. Now obviously, you know this is our radio show, I also have a podcast of my own, but what makes in your opinion, the shoot interview and the podcast like such an important part of uh, wrestling now?
2: Well, think about it. You know, 30 years ago, you rarely saw anything inside about pro wrestling. The The literature of pro wrestling was basically wrestling magazines. There were very few books, if you went to the library, on professional wrestling. Probably less than a dozen that you could think of or, or that you could get your hands on. I mean, it just wasn't something that people talked about. And, you know we're blessed in this day and age now where you've got Google, you've got YouTube you've got basically the whole history of wrestling is right at your fingertips in a few clicks and you can hear many of the legends themselves talk about their experiences and talk about what it was like for them and talk about different aspects of their careers. That, that didn't exist 30 years ago. That was a very rare thing 30 years ago. So to have this now is just a, a great thing. It's, it's history. Also, you know, I talked about how uh, in another post about how th- there's a literature of wrestling that didn't exist 30, 40 years ago. There's, you, you go to a bookstore today, there's a whole shelf full of books on pro wrestling, biographies and different things. You know, you, you, When I was growing up, you never saw anything in a bookstore about pro wrestling, that was a rarity. If you found any kind of a book that, that talked about professional wrestling, that was a, an absolute rarity. Um, so so we're blessed today. We have access to far more information than we ever had before. And that's an important development. You know, it's something that, that perpetuates the industry, perpetuates its history. And I know, you know, we live in an age where it's a, a lot of it, wrestling is right here, right now, let, let's talk about what was on, you know, Dynamite last night. Let's talk about what was on Raw last Monday. But you know, the, the the business of wrestling has a very deep and very rich history, and the fact that we have such easy access to it is a great thing and an important thing, in my opinion.
1: The flip side of the coin to that, though, do you think that at, at this point now, with and because, like I said, when the podcast first started, you had you know Jim Ross had one, obviously Jim Cornette. Yeah. Jim Cornette Experience is probably one of like the earliest ones. Um, do you see an oversaturation, though, of the podcast and the wrestling books? Because with wrestling books now, there's Kindle Publishing, so anybody who decides to put something together can put together a wrestling book, put it on Kindle Publishing, and some people are going to buy it. And podcasts now, with Spotify for podcasters and Anchor FM, anybody with a microphone can also do a podcast. Do you see an oversaturation of that?
2: That, that's, that oversaturation is in any kind of media. Re- wrestling's not the only genre that, 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 that that's happened to. Movies, television, you name it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, you know, I'd rather have more information out there than less.
1: But with more information, doesn't that also bring out, like, misinformation? Which, of course, is prevalent in the world wrestling. Sure. Uh,
2: of course it does. You just have to be savvy enough and, and do enough of your own investigating to figure out what what is and what isn't.
1: What have been some of your uh, recently what have some of your your favorite posts that you've done on advice for wrestling life? Maybe a couple that you think were, you know, the most important that up and coming guys need to kind of focus on.
2: Uh things like respecting your push you know, not to overbook yourself. Uh, you know, we, we live in a very different time now in independent wrestling where, you know, when I when I started promoting back in two thousand, if you're an independent wrestler, maybe you work once or twice a month and that was it. You know, now there's a, an explosion of independent shows and you see guys and girls working, you know, three and four times in a weekend and, uh, you know, making kind of a very decent part-time living at it. But that wasn't always the case. And, and now you have a, a thing like, for example, in, in my area, I, I'm in Boston. So in the eastern New England area from, say, southern New Hampshire to Rhode Island, there's about 15 different promotions that are actively running. Fifteen. That's a lot of companies. Mm-hmm. And you, you have situations now where promoters are competing against each other for essentially the same talent. And so, you know, you, you get situations. I, I was having situations where you'd book somebody and you'd advertise them and then they, they'd get a hold of you and say, oh, I totally forgot I'm, I'm booked for XYZ Wrestling on the same night. Well, oh, wait a minute. You know, I've advertised you. I've, I've promoted your appearance. Don't tell me you're 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 going to go work someplace else because you already made a commitment to me, and, and we'd have all kinds of issues regarding things like that. And that's not uncommon for promoters today.
1: With the advent of social media, you know, obviously you said you're promoting in 2000, uh, Facebook, Twitter, things like that. That's kind of become the the norm for promoting shows. People mm-hmm. don't go out really and you know put up like I don't. We have independent groups around here all over the place, but I rarely ever see like a poster or a flyer on a wall, I see, you know, a post on someone's Facebook page, you know, is social media kind of killing the old way of promoting or do you still see that, you know, do we still need to go out and do the posters and the flyers or is social media kind of the, the way to go?
2: It's both. You, you've got to have both. You can't just rely on social media. You can't just rely on the old school kind of promoting You've got to do as many things as you can possibly do. You've got to take some old school techniques, uh, along with new school techniques. there, there is, reaching people is a little bit more difficult today than it was, back when we had like five TV channels in our local, on our local TV, and a couple of newspapers. You know, when I started promoting, social media was not a thing yet. We were doing stuff, Uh, we did have a website from the very beginning, we did promote on that. Uh, We sent out postcards, we kept a mailing list, a snail mail list, as well as an email list. We did posters, we did all sorts of things to promote our shows and we were one of the first companies, maybe the first actually, to to stream matches online on a regular basis in the form of a, a weekly TV show that was exclusively available online. That had not been done before we had started doing that. So the the short answer to your question is you've got to do as many things as you could possibly do to get people to follow you, to get people to be engaged in what it is you're doing. And that takes both old school methods and new school methods together.
1: One of the things about your, your pieces on Facebook that I enjoy is you're obviously using social media as a way to kind of get your point across i let people see this. One thing that's come up recently, and probably in the last like month or so, um, I don't know if you've heard of the Angry Wrestling Vet, he had a post that went up about taking photos in the locker room or at a show. And his advice was, you know, don't do it. It's not professional. That created, like, just a storm of replies from not just the indie guys, but from, you know, guys like you know, Bully Ray and X-Pac and... A lot of the, the top name guys that came out there, and they were like, you know, take a picture anytime you can. You see me at a show, come on up and say hi, let's take a picture. And Xbox actually, or Sean Waltman X referred to himself as the happy Uh What's your take on, you know, the, the, that, that photo one? Because, like I said, that was a topic that really kind of garnered a little bit of steam for just a few days, but it really got some people talking.
2: Yeah, I remember seeing that post, and I with uh, Bully Ray and, and X Pac. Yeah, take pictures. You know, as long as it doesn't, as long as you're not portraying yourself as your wrestling persona on social media, and you're you know sitting on the lap of the guy that you're supposed to be in a feud with. I mean, if you're portraying your wrestling character on social media, portray that character. Don't don't break that illusion. Have a, have a uh, an account that's for you as a person and do that stuff there. Don't do that as your character. But, yeah, uh, no, take the pictures, absolutely. Don't, uh, you know, life is too short. You know, cherish your experiences, all of them. I was very, very fortunate in, in my years to have done a lot of things and met a lot of people and, you know, just being on the board of directors of the Cauliflower Alley Club uh, back in the late 1990s and, and early 2000s, I mean, the people that I met and, and just the relationships that I was able to make were just priceless. You know, when you get to meet your heroes, that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. You, know, it, it, you, you cherish those experiences. Don't, uh, don't think you're too cool for school not to cherish them.
1: Why do you think people like, you know, the Anger Wrestling Vet or some of the others that, you know, sided with him, why do you think they bash the photo idea? Because like you said, it's memories. You know, years later down the road when you're like in your 60s, your 70s, you know, and you're, you know, sitting in your, the, the rest home or you're laid up in bed. Those are things you can look back on as memories and you'd be like, you know, look, you know, what I did. Look who I worked with. Why are some people oh, just like, is- no, bad idea?
2: Yeah, well, back in the day, you didn't want to be labeled a mark. If you are in the business, you didn't want to be labeled a mark. It was there was, but that was before social media and everybody posting pictures of everything in their life, from their kid's birthday to you know a celebrity they met in an airport or whatever. You know that, that it's a different time now, and and protection of the business is not the same thing anymore that it was back in those days. You know, Kayfabe went away, so. Which is a good and bad you thing at the Rally same Club. time.
1: You mentioned Cauliflower Alley Club. Do you still go to the
2: uh, reunions? Yeah, I've been to the last few of them. Okay, and yeah, I'll they've be there got, at the end of the month.
1: I was just about to say, yeah, they've got a reunion coming up uh, at the end of this month. I think you and I may have crossed paths. I was I went from like 2006 to you know 2016, so I think you and I crossed paths like once or twice at a reunion or so. Unfortunately, it kind of you know, no, escapes my memory. I, I, what, no, what
2: happened to me is that w- once I actually started promoting wrestling, my, my parents were not well. Oh, okay. And so I stopped going because I just didn't want to travel that much. You know, I, I wanted to stick around here. So I, I really stopped going right around 2001 and okay. uh, just picked it up in the last few years again.
1: Okay, I don't feel so bad now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait, did I, well, I hope we like come you to say. another
2: one? And I, I hope we
1: get a chance to meet. I do plan. on – I was hoping to come to this year, just unfortunately financial situation trying to get there. But yeah. I am shooting for trying to make it back next year. I haven't been since 2016 since I moved out here to Texas, and you know, finance has kind of changed. But for our listeners, you know, can you give us kind of a little bit just about the Colorado Cup? Like you said, you were on the board of directors, and you know, some of our listeners who might be interested in possibly joining and maybe being there at the end of this month.
2: Yeah, well, Cauliflower Alley Club is an organization of active and retired uh, wrestlers and people associated with pro wrestling. Originally, it encompassed more than just pro wrestling. Originally, it encompassed wrestling, boxing, and Hollywood. And it was started by a a well-known character actor who was also a pro wrestler by the name of Mike Mazurki in the 1960s. And uh, Mike Mazurki used to have a restaurant in Hollywood and where his friends from both wrestling and and Hollywood and boxing and so forth would all get together and have lunch every week. and And what they would do is uh, if they heard about a guy that was down on his luck or somebody that was having difficulty, they'd they'd, they'd pool their money together and they they'd help that person out. And then it became a formal thing called the Cauliflower Alley Club, which is a non-profit organization. They do all kinds of things like uh, give out scholarships and give out, uh, give out grant money to uh, people in the business that are in financial need. So that's what the Cauliflower Alley is. The, the boxing and the Hollywood kind of drifted away with the move to Las Vegas, which is kind of sad. Because I went in the early days and you would see all kinds of people. There, the, the, the people who would come to Cauliflower Alley, the the, the reunions are now in Las Vegas. But they used to be in Studio City, California, and when I started going, you know, you, you'd see actors like you know Elliot Gould and Kirk Douglas and uh, uh, Cesar Romero and people like that who were regulars who would come, and, and now you don't you don't see that anymore. Now it's just just really the the pro mm-hmm. wrestling crowd, but. Uh, Cauliflower has a very rich history uh, the president is B. Brian Blair he's done a very good job of uh, of maintaining the club and keeping it going and if you get a chance to go it's a great experience you're going to meet a lot of people you're going to experience a lot of cool things and you know it's a few days in Las Vegas and who doesn't like that
1: I always enjoyed the times I went and you can actually look at photos from past reunions when you go there and I swear I've seen photos of, like, I think a reunion where Stallone was there. I think, obviously, yeah. I think it had something to do with Terry Funk. But, yeah, no, there were the actors, and you saw, like, boxers there and all that, too. But it is an, it is a fun time. I'm hoping to go back, uh, you know, again soon. But I'm going to pass the mic over to Glenn now for the, the next round of questions.
0: All right. Uh, thank you for letting me join in on the chat on this edition of Wrestling Memories with our guest, Sheldon Goldberg, and uh, you know, one of the things that I'm just so amused, and it's just been so great, it's been my way of uh, catching up and 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 all of the, and actually seeing some of the things I read about in the old after mags, is the the invention, the creation of YouTube, and, and just what its impact has been on not only the new guys and new companies, but getting a chance to see some of these old territories and stuff, but it, it, it's so amazing though to think about now how everything was a click away, but back in the day, it was like tape trading was, was the big, big thing, and you were you had you were worked with the Matt Marketplace. Now, talk a little bit about some of your association and some of the things that were a part of Matt Marketplace because, again, people nowadays are coming up, they have so much easy access to things pro wrestling, anything really. But talk about the, your work with the Matt Marketplace that has me curious.
2: Yeah, that I you know, it was just kind of a, a thing that I had a niche that I thought needed to be filled. You know, I, I knew people that were collectors that, that were looking for different things. And wrestling merchandise and memorabilia were just starting to become a thing. And of course, you know, wrestling merchandise and memorabilia goes back as far as wrestling goes. So, you know, whether it was little posters or, or 8x10s or programs or whatever, uh, or, you know, pennants or whatever, um, those things go back many, many decades. So uh, I thought a central place where people could uh, take a look and see who had what or put in a a request if you were looking for something, that might be kind of a fun thing to do and uh, a chance to write about uh, a subject that I like to write about. And uh, it kind of took off from there. The thing that really put it over the top was when I started publishing it, there was an article about it. In a publication called the Sports Collectors Digest and of course there wasn't anything like Matt Marketplace before that and once that article appeared uh, subscriptions kind of went through the roof and uh, I had a good time doing it for the the period of time that I did but I learned a lot of things I met a lot of people and uh, uh, it was a a very enriching and fulfilling experience.
0: Mm -hmm. And now you see things like on A&E with the WWE going on their little road trip show to go buy, find these old, uh, you know, ring worn merchandise or anything associated with a a specific wrestler. And now how these collectors have just, I mean, the, the collecting just in general, the boom of that. And even, you know, not only pro wrestling, but just the world of sports. I mean, my God, some of the things that people have been, you know, people have acquired or or get auctioned off every few years. It's gone more than, it's beyond more than just that, that old Honus Wagner baseball card. There is so much stuff. And it just amazes me to see these people uh, that have these private collections that are so huge and the way they're able to be on these programs to barter with uh, WWE, whether it be to loan it out or to, to make an exchange for it. But it's Amazing how much the private collecting thing has really uh, has boomed.
2: Yeah, it was around a lot longer than you might think. It just didn't take the form that it is now. Now there's so much more stuff to have. Uh-huh. I mean, think about things like action figures and trading cards. I mean, you can have an endless number of action figures an endless number of sets of trading cards. It's it, it's crazy. You know, there's people that, that there are subsets of collectors within it. People who only collect eight by ten pictures, you know. People who only collect posters. People who only collect, uh, uh, you know, pins or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's. It never ceases to amaze me how that genre has exploded over the last fifteen or twenty years, and the way the values have gone up.
0: Mm-hmm. It's almost like yeah. Again, it's almost like who how. I can almost compare it too to how the boom of how you know baseball cards and sports cards collecting has suddenly has hit, caught fire here within the last five years, where it was so I mean where it was an oversaturated market in the '90s, later '90s. Now you're getting that, and now you're getting these insane cards that are new that are worth so much because of their specialty or whatever feature. It just it amazes me how much uh, things. I guess it was back in the day if you didn't save it, the, you can just only talk about it and reflect and wish you could have had it and still exactly exactly <laughs> i want to talk about how you know you mentioned in early on in your career you 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 got involved with tony rumble i mean he left us way way too early in life but he was such a character i mean i remember reading uh, him about him in the other magazines and stuff but talk about how you became affiliated with tony rumble and and what you kind of learned and what what kind of rubbed off and what things experiences you had with him as far as, you know, working with him on the promotion level, because again, he had such a great character. I remember some of the stuff he did with Kevin Sullivan, other character wrestlers in back in the day, but you know, he's been gone for so long. It's nice to have people kind of mention him because I mean, he did was very integral in in the pro wrestling business, especially up where you guys are in Massachusetts.
2: Yeah. and, And he doesn't get talked about enough. I think, uh, it's interesting. I, funny story. Mm -hmm. I actually grew up less than a mile from, from where he lived, but we never met each other until
0: 1990.
2: Wow. Um, We, I I was at a, a a wrestling convention in New York that was put on by John Arezzi. I don't know if you're familiar with John
0: Arezzi. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've I've been listening to his podcast and stuff too.
2: He did this big convention called the weekend of champions. And I, had a, I was doing Matt Marketplace at the time, and I had a table there. was selling all kinds of stuff. And, and Tony walks up and introduces himself, and we get to talking. And we come to realize that we were practically neighbors, that we lived right on the other side of the same town from each other, and we became instant friends. And uh, he was telling me how he was promoting shows, and... Uh, he asked me if I wanted to come sell stuff at, at his shows. And I said, sure, why not? I was starting to get into retailing stuff as well as just writing about it. Uh, I would get different kinds of things wholesale and sell them through the newsletter. And uh, he invited me to one of his shows to do that. And, and he never asked me for anything. And I said, well, look, let me, let me do something to help you. I mean, maybe I can... I can figure out some way that I can contribute to what it is that you're doing, and and I can help you out because you're doing so much for me. So I started doing his website, and uh, doing things like programs and posters and and that sort of thing. And we became fast friends, and uh, uh, you know uh, I appeared on his uh, his TV first. It was cable access, and then he had a show on broadcast for a little while. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that was extremely street smart. Mm-hmm. He came up working for Mario Savoldi and he learned a lot of things about television and a lot of things about wrestling and a lot of things about life. He was a, 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 a kind of a street kid. His parents both had died young. Um, and, uh, he was, uh, a straight shooter, you know. He's a guy who looked like, you know, kind of a, you know, uh, uh, kind of a character, a Weasley kind of a character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was not him at all, in real life. He was a straight shooter, nice. totally honest guy, uh, helped a lot of people, and was really one of the pioneering independent promoters in this area. And uh, he died suddenly in November of 1999, and. After his passing, I started up about six months or so thereafter. His death left a huge void in the area, and a number of other companies have tried to fill it ever since. And uh, uh, I say he doesn't get talked about enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, his shows were always great draws. His TV was kind of fun and and uh, and quirky. Just a super super guy and uh, somebody who's dearly missed.
0: Yeah, boy, to think about where he would be today in the, the pro wrestling landscape. I mean, you talk about uh, how Paul Heyman has managed to keep himself into the game, but I, I could imagine Tony Rumble would have been even, even more like that because he, just, he had a mind, and you knew it eventually that there would be bigger companies that would, that would figure out just, you know, they would want to go to his learning tree or maybe get him involved to, to a certain aspect. But, yeah, it, it would have been so much different.
2: Yeah, he didn't stick around long enough, unfortunately, to really really pass along everything he knew. Uh, I know when I started promoting, there was a ton that I didn't know. As much as I thought I had gleaned from him, and as much as I thought that uh, I had experienced in being around him, and, and we were very close, there was still so much to learn. Uh, and, uh, you know, I owe him a great deal, and... Uh, uh i asked myself the question that you asked every single day what would tony think about what was going on right now what, what would he be doing right now if he was still with us so you know, I don't me- have an answer to that and none of us ever will but uh it's an interesting question to think about
0: almost well, definitely like i said he he, he could have he it just sky would have been the limit i mean honestly i mean and, and having again it, Look how many, I mean, it, it just still amazes me how many years that Paul Heyman has been in the business, too. I mean, I mean, starting out with the photography as a kid and working in, up here in AWA for a while, Memphis, all of that. You had, some, you had some affiliation or association with Paul around the late 90s and stuff. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that was all yes, about? Yes, I
2: did. Yes, I did. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, another weird story. Uh, a very close friend of mine, who ended up becoming the general manager of of my company, New England Championship Wrestling, was the original local promoter for the original ECW. His name was Paul Richard. And I would get invited to the shows and and hang around and so forth. And I was doing this newsletter, as you know, Matt Marketplace. And uh, I had been corresponding with uh, a representative from a company in Japan called Michinoku Pro Wrestling.
0: Oh, yes, sir.
2: I had a couple of readers that were interested in maybe getting hold of some merchandise from there and they wanted to know what might be available and where they could get it or how they could get it. And I I contacted them and a guy who worked in the office had gotten in touch with me. And uh, we started to correspond and he said to me, uh, well, hey, you know, I'm going to see you really soon. I'm going to come over to the United States for a, a few days around the holidays, and I'd love to meet you and, you know, see you and so forth. So the weekend that he happened to be coming in, ECW was at the Wonderland Greyhound Park in Revere, Massachusetts. Uh, this was the same night as the mass transit incident, believe it or not. Oh, oh wow. So, <laughs> yeah. So after the show's over, I introduced this, this gentleman to... Paul Heyman. And Paul says to him, well, wow, we're, I'm really big fans of, of, of Great Suzuki and so forth and Michinoku and you know we're, we're going to be get, getting ready to do our first pay-per-view and I'd like to extend an invitation for Great Suzuki to, to send a match for our first pay-per-view. So this guy, his name was Koji, he goes home and five days later I get a phone call. Oh, sheldon son, I'll be seeing you again very, very soon. I said, really? He said, yes. Great Suzuki has accepted Paul Heyman's offer to supply a match for the first pay-per-view and you're going to handle all the business for us. So uh, (laughs) that put me square in the middle of a series of ridiculous things but it happened in that Michinoku sixth man was a, a very uh, very well talked about and very well regarded match in the Barely Legal pay-per-view it almost didn't happen a couple of times
0: it was just like um, some some snags that would come some snafus what was some of the things that was some yeah, of the, they, that they, were the, the, in your it, way
2: Paul was supposed to send a deposit which he did not do not Paul. So they they came over anyway. He was worried. Paul was worried that they weren't going to show up. And I said, nope, they assured me they're going to show up. I'm going to meet him at the airport and so forth. And I'm going to need a check from you to hand to them when they get off the airplane. So the night before they had that, you remember they had that dinner honoring Terry Funk?
0: Yes, 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 I do.
2: Yeah. So... I'm running around chasing after Paul Heyman to get this check. And he keeps ducking me. <laughs> Every time I try to get a hold of him, he ducks the other I, I He goes left and, and, and just disappears. <laughs> so finally, at the end of the night, he says, where are you going to be in an hour? And I said, right behind you because I'm not going to let you out of my sight until I get that check. He goes, no, no, no. Meet me at the hotel in an hour. And I'll have your check. So I met him at the hotel in an hour. We met at the bar. We get, we had something to eat together. Took me upstairs, got me the check. And when the plane landed, I had a check for for Suzuki, and all was right with the world. But uh, that was uh, that was an interesting position to be put in.
0: Yeah, I'd have to go. Then, and, oh yeah, keep going. Uh, there's I'm sorry. more. Okay.
2: Then. The next day, Nitro was happening in Philadelphia. Uh And the guys wanted to go see Nitro. And I had to bring them over there. Now, I had no idea how I was going to get us in. No clue whatsoever. So we go over to the spectrum, and we're, we're, we're hanging around outside, and I run into Dory Funk Jr. and his wife, Marty. And I said, oh, you're going in to see the show? Yeah, well, let me follow in right behind you and we'll, we'll get you in and I'll, you know, get these guys in. So we all went in and uh, saw the show. Then uh, prior to this, Suzuki wanted an introduction to the WWF. And I said, well, I, I can make that happen. So I had made arrangements for the day after that Nitro, that Monday, to go to Stamford, Connecticut, to drive up there in a van with him and introduce him to the officials at the World Wrestling Federation. And we met with Bruce Prichard and Jim Ross, and it looked as though they were going to do some kind of a deal with Tim, and they actually brought him in for the... uh, in Your House pay-per-view that took place in Calgary, mm-hmm. and there was some back and forth, and how it ended up was that they took the guys that became Kai and Tai, but not Suzuki himself, much to his chagrin. But I was in the middle of all of that stuff. <laughs> so that was uh, quite an experience and quite an education.
0: Yeah, what a hell of a whirlwind i mean to be dropped in and like oh yeah now we want to go they want to go to see a nitro event but thankfully you kind of had some happy accidents uh, on your way to getting these guys some of these opportunities and stuff cuz i remember seeing them on that barely legal pay-per-view and then you know, next thing you know, they're on WWE TV. I mean, that Taka Suzuki match, a Suzuki match, and then later on with Kai and Tai. You know, that for a while there, I mean, they were trying to get some sort of light heavyweight thing off the ground, and uh, you know, and they had Taka, in for a while as, as their champion and one of the guys who put on some big matches and stuff. But yeah, it was an interesting, really kind of chain, turn of events for those guys uh, coming to the states.
2: They ended up doing something with him in Japan, Suzuki. They ended up sending Undertaker for a match uh, over there. and they, they, they did do something for him. Okay. But it, it wasn't what he had hoped it would be. And uh, it, it was interesting, just the whole machinations of it. Suki really thought he was going to be the next Antonio Inoki. Oh, he- and, and clearly that really wasn't going to take place, but... You know, uh, he had his thing and that he was doing, and he had his plan, and, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that's how it turned out for him. He ended up going back to ECW after a while, but uh, he never really achieved the kind of thing in the United States that he had hoped to achieve.
0: Yeah, because I remember him working with um, PJ Polaco when he was doing the Just Incredible thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to bring Mike McCurdy back into the conversation to take us home here on this edition of Wrestling Memories.
1: One of the posts you share on Facebook is uh, about bringing, you know, your girlfriends, wives, whatever your significant other at the time is, uh, to the shows. And you tell a great story about a guy that came in and his girlfriend that you were using a lot. Could you tell our listeners that story? Because that's one of the ones that jumped out at me, and I I still chuckle listening to it. Not just because of the story and everything that turned out, but just your creative use of, uh, you know, names to protect the innocent or guilty.
2: Yeah, I you know, I, I got to look that up actually, but uh, I'll I'll do that as I'm talking to you. But, you know, again, people are taught how to wrestle, but not how to be wrestlers. You no, know, it, it's a it, it's a strange world that we live in, in in pro wrestling, and and you know, it, it, it's it's. Like any other business in a lot of ways, and unlike any other business in a lot of ways, and you know, it's just um, what's the what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, You know, people sometimes don't think, you know, before they act. They they don't think about what they're doing.
0: Due to an audio glitch, we were unable to uh, play the last couple of minutes of our interview with Sheldon Goldberg, but we definitely had a good time having him on the program. And we want to remind you that next week on Wrestling Memories, we're going to be chatting with Joyce Poschian, who released a, a book of her not only her photographs, but her memories of taking pictures and being in at ringside for many great AWA wrestling events in the Quad Cities of Iowa and uh, Illinois, and also making your way all the way through the AWA territory. We'll talk about the AWA and uh, cook up a lot of great memories next week. For our guest, Shelton Goldberg and the Grizzle Vet, Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. You have been listening to Rasslin' Memories on Pioneer 90.1.